to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. We took a break uh, to have holidays, uh, Palm Sunday and then uh, Easter Sunday, last Sunday. Uh, but I'm going to take you back in your minds to three weeks ago. I began a message on, on um, courage, and I want to continue that today. Uh, but I want to get your minds back to where we were, so I'll do a quick, uh, when we start, I'll, I'll do a little rehearsing. Uh, but my desire today uh, is that you and I would live in the realm of being courageous Christians. And what does it mean to be of good courage? We're going to look today at the example of Nehemiah, uh, just a little snippet in uh, Nehemiah's life as we look at chapter 6. So if you turn there, Nehemiah 6, let's all stand for the reading of God's Word. And I'll give you a little background on this when we jump into the message, but follow along as I read Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease, whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort. And I answered them after the same manner. Then sent Sambalat his servant unto me, in like manner the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou faintest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. May God bless his word. Let's bow together in prayer. Our God in heaven, we rejoice at uh, this example of a great man of courage, Nehemiah. Father, we thank you that you uh, raised him up for the day, that you uh, raised him up for, that you used him uh, and, and set him to lead your people uh, back from bondage and to restore and set up the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you give us a record of all the opposition that he had. And we thank you for this man's courage, for him being undaunted and not allowing these obstacles and things that could have discouraged anyone else, uh, not to cause him to, to be faint and to give up. And Lord, we have a great, uh, a great, a great mission before us today in reaching men and women for Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that you are still building your church 
and that your promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against it uh, has not been nullified. We claim your promise. We claim your word. And we rejoice that we can be a part of what your spirit is doing in this day and in this age. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you've not given up on America, that you are still building your church, that the, the gospel is still being heard, and that people can still get saved this very day. Uh, Lord, we know that that will come to an end uh, and that your spirit will not always strive with men. But Lord, we rejoice that we can be a part of this awesome blessing. Help us to rejoice today. Help us to find courage and help us to live in that. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And your great song. He's the master of the sea. Billows his will obey. You ever feel like you're, you're in a ship and you're tossed as a tempest to and fro? Uh, because we often use that picture of circumstances. And um, he is the master of the sea. He's in charge of life. He controls what goes on. Uh, nothing can happen to you unless it first passes through his hands. And we need to remember that. All right, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Two, three weeks ago, we began a series, uh, just two-part series probably, or maybe, who knows, we'll find out by the end of today, um, on courage. And I have uh, just was sharing some things from my own study, things the Lord's been teaching me, uh, as I have been fascinated uh, and, and um, greatly inspired by what the Bible says about courage. And we look back, um, there have been times in God's history, in fact, three weeks ago, we looked at Joshua chapter 1, when God's people uh, are getting ready to enter in the promised land. Moses had just died, and now Joshua was going to have to fill his shoes and really accomplish what had been Moses' life ambition of you know, leading God's people into the promised land. And of course, he had... Um, he had not trusted God at the rock, you might remember that, and instead lost his temper and therefore um, lost his privilege of being able to enter into the promised land. And so now the mantle fell to Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, this is what we looked at three weeks ago, God challenged Joshua and four times in just chapter 1 alone. He said, be strong and of a good courage. And uh, Joshua needed that. Now today, what we're going to look at is, is a, a different time in Israel's history. On Sunday night, we've been studying Jeremiah, which is Israel, Judah specifically, before they go into Babylonian captivity. Uh, Jeremiah is warning them, if they don't get right with God, if they don't repent... Uh, judgment chastening is going to come uh, in the form of, of Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to be brought into Babylonian captivity for many, many years. Uh, and that's what we're studying in the evening service. Well, now, just looking at Nehemiah chapter 6, we fast forward to now the end of the Babylonian captivity, and God's people are going back into the promised land. There were three waves, and... and uh, the second wave was Nehemiah, the third wave was Ezra, rather vice versa. And so Nehemiah is leading the people back, and his big project is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed 
by Nebuchadnezzar because God's people did not heed and obey and walk with him. And um, so sure enough, those years were fulfilled. And now we find Nehemiah in charge of that, taking leadership of encouraging the people's hearts. And all through the book of Nehemiah, there's great opposition. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, All different types of satanic attack, mainly using people, people that were not on board with Nehemiah's mission. And uh, to just see, and we're just again going to look at a snippet today uh, of Nehemiah. And we read in chapter 6, um, the, uh, we read uh, some of, in fact, we read the first few challenges. That they tried mockery. They tried intimidation. Uh, there was uh, false charges that they, they, they claimed Nehemiah. You know, we sent a letter to the king that you're just trying to re- rebel. And, you know, all the things that could have played on Nehemiah's fears. Anything that could have undermined his courage, his strength to lead this task. And now in chapter 6, we get to the place where the walls have been completed in record time. And it says in verse 10, this is what we're going to look at today. So Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. It says, Afterward I came into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of uh, Mahatabil, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple. For they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. And I said, so here's another um, attempt to get Nehemiah from stopping what he's doing. And again, it is, it is fear. It is intimidation. It is something that, that could play on Nehemiah's mind and get him you know, to just be a coward. But I love Nehemiah's response. Look at verse 11. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. He was not a priest. And he said, and lo, I perceive. This is, this is critical. Nehemiah. Remember Paul says this, fast forward uh, many, many years. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 6, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, This is a spiritual battle. And we are not fighting against people, flesh and blood. We need to remember that now. Nehemiah needed to know that truth. And he knew it. Because here comes this subtle attempt. And it comes across as someone who cares about Nehemiah that his life is in danger. And he's, he's coming to Nehemiah as a friend. To say, Nehemiah, there are people that are going to come and they're going to try and kill you. I know, I heard of it. And you need to come with me. We need to hide in the temple and lock the doors. And look what Nehemiah said, verse 12. He said, and lo, I perceive that God had not sent him. You know, there's different things that come to us that present themselves in different ways. Some people will come to us and come across as our friend and well-meaning. They care about us. 
and they really don't. Other people genuinely care for us, and we might misunderstand their intention. Well, Nehemiah said, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me for Tobiah and Samballot. Now, these are guys that are key characters in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Geshem, along with Geshem, so you've got uh, Tobiah, Samballot, and Geshem were the three biggest enemies of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah said, I perceived that God had not sent them. But he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid. That's one of the devil's tactics. Intimidation. To get us filled with fear and worry. To take away our courage in doing what God wants us to do. And so today we're going to look at this and we're going to look at courage. And, and my goal today is that you will be courageous. Let's pray and we're going to jump right in. Father, help us as we study this matter of courage, as we look at Nehemiah as a great example, and as we apply these things to our lives today. Father, we have a mission as a church and as Christians. You have not left us unto ourselves. You have saved us to serve you, to bring glory to you. You've given to each one of us a mission in this world. People are dying without Christ. And Father, I pray that we would be up for the task, that we would be a strong and of good courage. And we ask your blessing now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There's a verse I shared last time three weeks ago. I just want to read it to get it out there because this is what started me on my search and it revealed to me the, the strength of the human spirit. Proverbs 18 and verse 14 says this, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. And then one commentator really hit the nail on the head of what I believe that proverb is about. In pulpit commentary it says that what this is talking about, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, his weakness, but a wounded spirit who can bear. What this is talking about, this theologian says, the influence, it's talking about the influence of the mind over the body in a general sense is here expressed. The body can, as it were, fall back upon the support of the spirit. When it is distressed and weakened, that is the body, can fall back on the spirit. But when the spirit itself is broken, grieved, wearied, debilitated, it has no resource, no higher faculty to which it can appeal, and it must succumb beneath the pressure. You see, you and I, now just talk, it's just talking humanly speaking. It is amazing how God has created mankind, men and women. And you and I see just in history, the incredible resilience of the human spirit. I think of our founding fathers coming to America, and just all the different things that people face, the opposition, Nehemiah, 
Joshua going into the promised land. And there are, there are literally thousands and thousands of stories of people who rose up under incredibly trying times and succeeded. You know, the human spirit is such an amazing thing. Now, understand, you keep this in context. The Bible says this, Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. And we have to understand that. Apart from God, we can do nothing. But just as a comment, this proverb is just simply acknowledging that, you know, when you and I are strong, when our spirits, when, when, when we're spirit is healthy, it's amazing how much people can put up with. When you and I have a strong spirit, when we, when we have courage, but when we have a wounded spirit, it's amazing how all strength is gone. In fact, Proverbs, another proverb, the uh, Proverbs 17 says, "A merry heart doeth good like medicine, but a wounded, or, but a broken spirit drieth the bones." How is your spirit today? How is your spirit? You have difficulties. Maybe you're physically weak. The outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. So last three weeks ago, we looked at Joshua chapter 1. That phrase again found four times. Be strong and of a good courage. Nehemiah uh, also was challenged this way. And there's a New Testament parallel. Two times the Bible tells us to be strong. And I have to believe it's along the same lines as God encouraging Joshua, as God encouraging Nehemiah. Listen to these two verses. Ephesians 6.12, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's like the New Testament version where God is telling us, be strong and of good courage. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul says to his young protege, Timothy, he says, Thou therefore, my strong, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, we need strength too. You need strength. So I studied the word courage. And it's interesting, as many of you know, my, my newfound favorite tool is the Oxford English Dictionary, which uh, when it first was published, was like 20 volumes this thick. And they just, it's the most thorough, most exhaustive study of the English language since it began. It is just amazing. They don't even publish it anymore. Like it's, it, The books can't contain it. But it's so interesting because you, you study a word and it shows you when that first word started being used from the Anglo-Saxon or whatever language the word came from. And that gives you how that word has been used ever since the English language began. And a lot of times our words started out one way, and then they kind of moved in a different direction, and now they mean something different than they used to mean. You know, it's interesting. When you look up the word courage in the Oxford English Dictionary, the very first three uses of that term are all obsolete now. And it's only the fourth definition that is how we use it today. But I want to share with you what those first three definitions are because it, it's interesting. 
And um, the first, so, so let's look at courage. The first definition, this is what, what courage originally meant. The heart as the seat of feeling, thought, spirit of mind, disposition. So, the word, so your, your courage was the very heart uh, of, of, it was your spirit or your mind. Number two, and that's, that's obsolete now. Number two. It is what is in one's minds or thoughts. What one is thinking of or intending. Intention or purpose. Now this is key because this is how courage started. Courage simply spoke about... Now we look... In fact, let me give you the definition how it's used now. Courage is that quality of mind which shows itself in facing danger without fear or shrinking. Bravery, boldness, valor. So courage today is that outward show of facing something uh, without giving up. But the word courage originally just started as the intention of the heart, as that thought, the purpose. In fact, intention or purpose. Yeah, that reminds me of Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. Remember what the Bible says? But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. So Daniel, courage, Daniel was a courageous man. But it all began in his heart and in his intention. Daniel purposed in his heart, or we could say, Daniel couraged himself that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. And then verse 8 continues, Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. His purpose, his intention, led to his action, which was courage, and which is how we use it today. But I submit to you that we will never be courageous in our actions if we don't have intention in the beginning. And that brings up an interesting thought. Back in the, fifth, the 16th century, that's the 1500s going into the 1600s, the word courage was used as a verb. It's no longer a verb. We now have a different word that really means the same thing, but think about this, okay? I want you to... Courage used to be a verb. It'd be, it would have been proper. In fact, it was something like this was often said. I could say to you, hey, you know what? Would you go courage that person? Courage? How do you courage someone? What do you mean courage? Courage means you go and you give them courage or strength. I think we need to bring that back as a verb. Let's do that. Let's do that in our church. Okay? Hey, you, it used to be this way. We can take an obsolete word and bring it back. Because, folks, God's people need to be couraged. Don't they? I like that, to be couraged. In fact, back in the 1500s, when um, William Tyndale and then the Coverdale Bible uh, translated, uh, translated it this way. In fact, one of the examples in the Oxford English Dictionary is from the Coverdale Bible, and it quotes from Hosea chapter 4 and verse 8. Listen to what it said. This was how it was translated. They, and this is... You can encourage someone to do right 
and you can encourage someone to do wrong. And in this case, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, they courage them in their wickedness. It's 1500s. That was very common. In other words, they were being strengthened. They were being encouraged to do the wrong thing. Now, what we need, in fact, listen, listen to how the King James translates that just, a few, just less than 100 years after that. Here's what Hosea 4.8 says. They set their heart on their iniquity. They courage themselves in wickedness. They set their heart. Doesn't that go back? That goes back to courage. The idea of the first original idea of courage is it's having resolve and purpose in your heart. Courage, in order to be demonstrated as courage, must start with the intention of doing right. People who never purpose in their heart that they're going to serve God are never going to do any actions that are courageous. It's interesting. Again, Hosea 4, 8, King James. They set their heart on their iniquity. In other words, they set their heart. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11. You remember that one? Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. In other words, because you don't reap what you sow the moment you sow it, because you don't get the consequences of something right away, therefore, Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11 says, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. That's what Hosea 4 8 is saying. They are set to do mischief or wickedness. Now what you and I need to do is we need to be set to do right. We need to be set to face opposition and do whatever God wants us to do. So I say let's bring back the word courage as a verb. Let's courage one another. Let's courage. There's a a New Testament concept. There's a term that's used 11 times, I believe, in the New Testament. That really is... Uh, it's an, a, a newer word that, that really communicates that. And it's the word edify. Edification. You know what that means? To be built up. You know what that is? That's being encouraged. My goal as a pastor is to courage you in your walk with the Lord. That's what I want. I want to I encourage you. Now, of course, you, if you're thinking, and you're, many of you are like, we use the word encourage today, right? And, and that's true. But that's, so that's the verb. Encourage is the verb for courage. But I'd like to just bring that back and say, let's courage one another. Now, on the same flip side, it is possible, and the, the, there is this other term, the opposite of being encouraged is what? Being discouraged. Listen to some of the ways the scriptures speak of that. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4. In fact, there's, all these first few verses are all talking about how the people of Israel, when they wandered in the wilderness, got discouraged. Numbers 21 and verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now what is discouraged? It's the lack of courage. If I could just go back earlier. To be discouraged is... You don't even have the resolve to to do right. 
And they, they got discouraged because of the way. Circumstances. Things were tough. Can you relate to that? You ever gotten discouraged and you wanted to give up? You know what you need? You need to be encouraged. Numbers 32 and verse 9. For when, when they went up unto the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. That's the whole story of the 12 spies, remember, that went to spy out the land. Ten were bad and two were good. And it was the ten bad ones that, you know, they, they discouraged the heart of the people. And we see that used, uh, that word discouraged used many, many more times too. It's easy to be discouraged, is it not? It's a story of a former heavyweight boxer, James Tillis, James Quick Tillis. Came from Oklahoma, he was considered a cowboy, and he would become a, a very well-known boxer in Chicago in the early 1980s. And he recalled his first day when he arrived in the Windy City in Chicago, uh, arriving by bus from Tulsa. And he said this, he said, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago and stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down and I looked up at the tower and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. When I looked down, my suitcases were gone. <laughs> But, you know, the, think about that. Here he is. He gets to Chicago. He's got courage. He's got resolve. He purposes in his heart, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And no sooner had he uttered that thought in his mind, made that resolve, and his first challenge came. Welcome to Chicago, you know. Well, you know, folks, Christianity can be like that. You get saved. You're on fire for God. You want to conquer the world. You want to be something for God. And no sooner do you make that resolve than the devil throws a fiery dart your way. I read a statement that a, a brother posted online this week that greatly encouraged me. Greatly encouraged me. He wrote this, and I'll show you the song that came on my mind. And I, I've been singing the wrong song in my heart sometimes. Uh, and I'll share what I mean. But he wrote this. This was a rebuke to me, by the way. He said, I was recently asked in a critical way if I was concerned with the growing number of evangelical churches in the U.S. shutting down. Hmm. Can we talk about that for a while? Listen to what he said. He replied, I'm not concerned at all. The man began to question me as to why I would not be shaken by the daunting numbers. And they are daunting. Here's what I said. Listen to what he said. He said, Christ said he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail. God will always have a true church functioning in the world. Also, I'm fully aware that Jesus in the, is in the business of shutting down dysfunctional and dead churches too. After all, Jesus said, repent or I'll remove your candlestick. Some churches just need to die if they continually fail to follow the leadership of Christ. And he's, he's not wrong, you know. There's a song that I love that Mac Lynch sings. And I, I, 
I can't, I've, I've sung this phrase with Mac's voice in my mind um, many times. And here's, what, here's the phrase that sticks in my mind that I think. This is a day when idols are worshipped. Even God's people are trapped in their snares. Good men have fallen. Standards have shaken. Where is the answer? Who even cares? That's expressed my heart a lot. You know, I think about it. This is a day when idols are worshipped. Even God's people are trapped in their snares. Good men have fallen. Standards are shaken. Where is the answer? Who even cares? But I submit to you, the title of that song is not, Woe is us, we are doomed. The title of that song is, Where is a Gideon? And in that song, Max sings, I'll be that man. That's not a... And, and I tell you, I've been singing that, you know, about that, that phrase about, oh, standards are shaking, all this is wrong. This was a rebuke to me. Because what's that song about? It's, where is a Gideon? I'm going to be that man. That's, folks, that's where we have to be. Yes, we live in perilous times. But instead of being in despair... We've got to remember the Lord Jesus Christ is building his church and he promises the gates of hell will not prevail. And I love that second point. He is also in the business of shutting down dysfunctional and dead churches. I don't want to be, I want to be the Gideon. Don't you? So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Courage as a verb. Okay, Courage as a verb. That's my first point. This could end up carrying into next week. Are you okay with that? Good. All right. Courage as a response. So first, courage as a verb. And I'm going to beat this drum. Let's try to, let's, let's bring back an obsolete word and let's courage one another. Okay? Uh, let's try and use that. Just to say, okay, I'm going to try and use this in a sentence at least once a week. Say, you know, I want to, I want to courage you because that's what we're doing. You have the ability to courage someone else. Now, look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, the walls are completed in record time. And in verse 10, it says, Afterward, I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabiel, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us shut the doors of the temple. Now, this was a request for Nehemiah to stop taking the leadership and rebuilding the walls which he just completed. This was a request for Nehemiah to hide himself and protect himself. And it came across as, I care about you. I'm, I'm interested in your well-being. Nehemiah didn't buy it. Here's what he said. Let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. There's a lot of people that listen to the wrong voice in their head. You know that Satan has the opportunity. Satan has the power to plant suggestions in our minds. He did it with Judas. He did it with Peter. And he does it with us. He has the opportunity to put suggestions in our minds. That's why the Bible says, Paul says, we are to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There are certain thoughts that you should not let run wild in your mind. Or they will lead you down the wrong path. Down the path of discouragement or fear. Think of how that could have worked in Nehemiah's case. 
What? There's people. You hear about a conspiracy? Somebody, somebody wants me dead? My life's in danger? Oh, no, I need to hide. Thank you for letting me know about this. You must really care about me. Folks, you, got, you and I have to... You know, the Bible says, prove all things. New Testament. And the idea of prove means to test and find out. The Bible says, the simple believeth every word. We cannot afford to be spiritually gullible. Nehemiah could have very easily, you know, I imagine maybe even when this was suggested, he got a little anxiousness in his heart because of what was being presented. And there will be times, folks, when you and I will be challenged to not be strong, not have courage, but to be discouraged. But I love this. Verse 12, Lo, I perceived that God had not sent him but that he pronounced this prophecy against me. For Tobiah and, Sal- uh, and Sambalat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid, and do so and sin, and that they might have manner for an evil report, that they might reproach me. You know, folks, it, it would be wise for you and I to understand that not everything that is presented as being for us is really for us. Now, if you and I can do that, a wholesome, healthy skepticism without having the needle fall to cynicism, because it can easily do that, where you and I are just pessimistic and cynical about every single thing. God doesn't want that. That can lead us to discouragement just as well. What was the reason for Shemaiah to suggest that they get that they get holed up in the in the sanctuary? He understood that fear begets fear. When one person trembles, it's like it's contagious. Remember Gideon? And twice, in fact, this was even in Deuteronomy. God on several occasions, instructed the the, um, commanders of the Israelite army before anything, before they were ready to get ready for war, two times he said, anyone that is fearful, go home. And they lost thousands of people. Quit the army right then and there. They went home. Why was that necessary? Because God knew, and, and the leaders of Israel knew, fear begets fear. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Doubtfulness and discouragement is an epidemic which soon spreads amongst the Lord's flock. And again, this is not, he's not just quoting scripture, but he says, One downcast believer makes 20 souls sad. I don't know. Again, who knows? Maybe we're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, that's exactly what it is. The ratio of one discouraged, downcast believer actually will make 20 people sad. Not 21, not 19. But you get the point, don't you? One downcast believer affects, infects many others. Somebody said this. They said, did you hear about the company that makes blank bumper stickers? They're for people who don't want to get involved. Or they're for people who have no convictions whatsoever. 
You know, a lot of Christians are going around with blank bumper stickers, as it were, because they're not standing for anything. They're just, they don't want to get involved. And I'll close with this. Human phenomena. You know how the Bible says again, uh, Proverbs, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. There have been so many examples of people with great resolve who fought incredibly overwhelming circumstances and endured. And then there's examples of people that just didn't even, they just gave up before they even started. I remember reading during the Civil War, America's Civil War, that even after that truce at Appomattox, uh, that there were still soldiers, there were still, in fact, troops in various areas uh, that either didn't get the word or couldn't get it in their mind that the war was over. And so there were still skirmishes and fights for many years. In fact, that happened with World War II. Listen to this source. Uh, one, one history source said, The Second World War, which in Europe formally ended on May 8, 1945, with the signing of the German surrender in Berlin, it cut into the lives of millions of people. Many of those who survived living through World War II were, for the rest of their lives, haunted by images of what went on during the war and their memories of it. He says, In Europe, as well as in Asia... Many soldiers from the ranks of the defeated armies could not immediately come to terms with the fact that the war was really over. Such individuals, and in some cases even entire military units, were quite frequent uh, with were, were quite, quite frequent occurrences during the post-war months and even years, particularly east of the newly formed Iron Car- Curtain. These individuals, soldiers, remained fighting in their own private wars long after the actual hostilities formally ended. So well-known examples of Japanese soldiers and fight officers. The last ones among them were caught or they surrendered themselves in Southeast Asia in 1974. So the war ended May 8, 1945. And there were still entire units that were fighting the war for decades after that. And then there was another story of a man whose life was profoundly affected by the war. His name was Yanez Ruz. He died in 2001. But he hid, after the war, again, which ended in, in 1945, he hid in his sister's barn for 32 years. Because he had some involvement. He was just a, shoot, a cobbler before the war. And then he... Um, got involved in some Nazi sympathies during that uh, he pulled away from. Uh, But after the war, he was afraid that they were after him. And so he hid, again, in his sister's barn. There's pictures of it online. He lived for 32 years. He was scared to death. He would look down uh, out the window of the barn, down on on the town below, and see all the people having business and laughing. And he was so fearful... He stayed in that barn for 32 years. Finally, he was found out. And there were no repercussions, but he was just so glad to finally have that part over. But can you imagine living in fear for 32 years? That's most of his life. 
ruined. You know, there's a lot of Christians that live in fear. Fear motivates them from getting involved, from purposing in their heart that they're going to serve God. What does the devil do in your life to discourage you from serving the Lord? Because today, folks, I want you to be encouraged to serve Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the blessing of being challenged, being encouraged, uh, so that we might be strong, so that we might be strengthened in the Lord. And help us to realize, Father, that even as Paul told Timothy, that we would uh, literally allow ourselves to be strengthened in your grace. May we surrender to you. May we, like Daniel, purpose in our heart that we would serve you, live for you, and not defile ourselves with the things of this world. And then, Father, help us to press on no matter what anyone else is or isn't doing, no matter what anyone else is or isn't saying, may we be resolved, may we be strengthened to do right for your glory. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.